And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Good morning, uh, everyone. It's good to be back. Um, Yeah, I think it was about a month ago. Uh, So big day. Uh, it sounds like for you guys. So what am I doing here? Well, I think, I think somebody got sick uh, is what happened. But um, I'm happy to be here. And I thought, you know, um, as it is a big day for you guys and groundbreaking and everything, I thought we'd spend a few moments this morning reflecting on, um, well, the, the, the building campaign that doesn't have a start or an end. Um, as a church, you're always in a building campaign. Um, building into your communities, uh, building into your families, uh, building bridges to neighbors who um, do not yet know uh, the love and beauty of Christ. Uh, You're always uh, in a building campaign. You know, one of the things that is throughout Scripture that we see is that God is always drawing us in, inviting us in, to then send us back out to invite others in. And, uh, and that's what's going on in this passage in Mark chapter 6 that we're going to look at uh, together um, this morning. Now, uh, up until this point in Mark chapter 6, God has been on the move through the person of Christ, on the move from, from place to place, from person to person, uh, from healing to healing, and then right uh, as we get to, right before this passage, Jesus has gone back actually to his hometown of Nazareth, and it, despite the fact that he's, he's performed many signs and wonders and miracles and all sorts of things, they, they've rejected him. But Jesus, his, his mission isn't going to stop. So he just re-strategizes for a bit and decides to step away from some of the... Um, uh, the, the, the kind of established structures of society, and he starts going to the hillsides and to the plains and to the villages because nothing's going to stop his mission of going out and inviting people in, his mission of bringing his healing and bringing his grace and his love. But when we come to verse 7, which is the start of the passage we're looking at this morning, something shifts. Another little strategy change takes place. Jesus sends his disciples out. So up until this point, Jesus has been the only one going and bearing the divine grace and the power and the message to other people. But now at this point, he says, hey, you guys are going to go do this. He says, here's grace. Here's power that you're going to have. And here's the message. Take it out there to people and invite them in. So the question I want us to ask this morning is, what can we learn from the instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples here? 
What can we learn about how we are to engage our community, how we are to engage our neighbors, how we are to engage building bridges of invitation to people? Okay, now, of course, Mark chapter 6 took place a long time ago, all right? You know, there's cultural differences. Also, uh, by the way, these are the 12 apostles, Okay, so we do have to acknowledge that this story has its own unique significance. There's something special about what's happening right here in God's redemptive story in the Bible, all right? Uh, So we can't just rip this right out and start applying every little specific to our lives today. You know, I guess I got to go on Amazon, order a cane, uh, maybe some Birkenstocks, start crashing on people's couches, find out what a tunic is. No, we can't just rip it out and and apply it in that way. But what we can do, because here's what we got to remember. Here's what we got to remember. All of the people who know about Jesus' love and who have experienced Jesus' love are called to go and take that love to people. So that's you and that's me. And so we can ask what are some of the principles here in this story that can directly apply to us today and can inform us today on how Jesus would like us to carry uh, his message out? And so that, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to give you some principles that I think we find in here as we think about building bridges to our neighbors and community, bridges of invitation for them to come in and fill that new structure that's being built over there, Okay. Uh, So here's the first one, ready? First thing we seek to do, first thing that's important that's true of us as God's people, as we're sent out bringing the gospel, number one, we honor. We honor. We honor people. We honor the people that we are seeking to love with the gospel. If when you hear the word evangelism or you hear that topic come up, if you kind of get a knot in your stomach, I'm gonna guess that that actually has less to do with the message of the gospel and more to do with a particular method of bringing that message to people that disrupts something in you and goes, ooh, oh, is that really, you know? Because the, the beautiful message of the gospel can be presented in ways that are disrespectful, that are dishonoring, of people. Jesus calls us to think about how we can honor people with this beautiful message of the gospel. In other words, sharing the gospel, gospel-y. Understand? Honoring people with the way that we bring this message. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus says, when you enter a house, stay there. When you enter a house, stay there. What he's telling his disciples culturally is this, look, when you go into this town and somebody gives you hospitality and they invite you in and they say, yeah, you can stay with us. He's saying, if greater and better hospitality arrives, if somebody else shows up that has you know, a bigger, bigger crib and more things going on for you to do there, don't leave. Don't leave and take the better. Stay where you're planted. Stay where you've gone. Stay with the people who have invited you in so that you can invest in them. And the lesson for us today, I think, is the lesson of stability and investment. Stability and investment. Jesus is saying to us, look, I want you to live among people. I want you to go and live among people. 
Be with people. Get to know them. They're not little projects for you to work on. They're people for you to love. And one of the best ways to honor people with the good news is to share that good news within the context of an invested relationship rather than just parachuting into people's lives, dropping some Jesus grenades and getting back (laughs) to our Christian enclave. I don't think that that's what he's calling us to do. He says, stay there, stay there, stay there. Some of you maybe know the the story of Dr. Rosaria Butterfield from Syracuse University, who um, tenured professor in the English department, Dr. Butterfield was, um, was a, uh, an, an open and practicing lesbian and a, um, wanted nothing to do with the church. Um, uh, despised organized religion and Christianity. Um, a pastor and his wife got to know Dr. Rosaria Butterfield just as friends, started having her over to their house for dinner, started investing time in her, letting her know that they cared about her, they loved her, they wanted to get to know her more and more. And over the course of of a couple of years, um, Dr. Butterfield became a follower of Christ. They walked with her on this journey towards becoming a Christian. There's a whole lot more to the story, but here's the part I'm gonna read for you, a quote from her. And what I want you to hear in this quote is how honored she felt, just as an image bearer of God, by this pastor and his wife, despite so many differences in the way they saw the world early on. She writes, I remember in great detail that first meeting with Ken and his wife, Floyd. I wanted to get to know these people, but not at the expense of compromising my moral standards. My lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me. I came to my culture and its values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. I liked Ken and Floyd immediately because they seemed sensitive to that. Even though obviously these Christians and I were very different, they seemed to know that I wasn't just a blank slate, that I had values and opinions too, and they talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. Now she wrote this whole book about this journey of their grace to her, their patience with her, their working with her with where she was at and how honored she felt in that that ultimately led to a complete life change for her. But she was honored by them. Now, this is what we're called to do. Living out verse 10, investing in people, doing life with people, honoring people. That's number one, we honor. Number two, I think we see in this passage, number two, we heal we heal. Do you know that one of the reasons Jesus has you wherever he has you is for you to be a healing presence in people's lives around you? One of the reasons he has you wherever he has you is for you to be an agent of healing and restoration wherever it is that he has you. In verse 13, Mark tells us about the, the apostles. Mark says, They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now, remember, these are the apostles, okay? And this is a special time in redemptive history. Personally, do I believe 
that God still does physical miraculous healings today? Personally, yes. But even if you're, you believe differently about that, I think what we can all agree on is this. They don't seem to happen quite as often, okay? Right? There's something special about this time and the birth of, of this movement of the gospel and his church, okay? And we're not apostles. That being said, as followers of Jesus today, we are all called to seek healing in the broken communities in which we live. In your communities, your neighborhood, your workplace, your families, we're to be agents of reconciliation, agents of reconciliation amidst brokenness. We are to be compassionate listeners. We are to be people who always have a word ready that can bring grace and can bring healing to other people. We are to be people who are a, a, a beautiful Christ-like presence in the lives of those who are hurting, those who are dejected, those who are full of shame. You know, oil in that day, oil was a symbol of divine grace and power. You are sent, you are sent into your world, into your spheres with the spirit of Christ in you, with an anointing of divine grace and power to go and be agents of healing wherever you go. I want to challenge you uh, to something. I want you to think about this. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's in your drive home. Maybe it's late this afternoon. But I want you to think about a day in your life. Just one day in your life. And I want you to think about all of the people that you come in contact with. Uh, per, you know, in person, you know, on the phone, Zoom, work, family, neighborhood, grocery store. Think about all of the people that you come in contact with. And I want you to ask yourself, how is God calling me to be an agent of healing everywhere I go? To bring beautiful, life-giving words to everyone I talk to, everywhere I go, to take up that calling. We honor we heal. Number three. Number three is we herald. Herald means to announce the truth. More importantly, herald begins with an H. Um, if I were to ask all of you, okay, who are followers of Jesus, if I was to say, hey, how did you become a Christian? How did you become a follower of Jesus? Somewhere in your story, you would say this. Well, so-and-so told me such and such. Somebody told me something. That's going to be a part of, of your story. Somebody told me something. You see, we're called not simply to go and bring our love and bring our investment and bring our presence to people. We're actually called to go and speak words as well. We are called to go and speak truth, which means we have to know what it is that we're going to speak. We have to know the truth of the gospel and how it inter intersects with broken lives and broken communities. We have to use, ready for this, actual words um, to actual people about the actual gospel. Now, what is that good news? Summarized here in verse 12. You're not going to believe me at first, but, you know, follow along. This is fun. Verse 12 what did they go out saying? They went out and preached that people should repent. Now repent, 
Like, that doesn't sound like good news, but okay, sometimes we overcomplicate things, all right? Let's think about just at a most basic level, simplest level, the gospel, okay? What does repentance mean? Repentance means turning from myself to Jesus. Turning from looking to myself, looking at myself, making everything about myself, to turning and looking at him, looking to him and making everything about him. At its simplest that's what repentance is, okay? And this is why this is such good news, okay? You're, so you're like, I'm still not following. Here's why this is such good news. Because every other worldview, every other philosophy, every other religion at the end of the day is gonna boil down to this. Look to you. Look to yourself. Look to your ability to perform morally. Look to your diligence and discipline. Look to the power and the strength within you. Look to your courage. Look to all of this within you to be right with God. The good news says, no, no, no. Stop looking to you. Start looking to Jesus. Look to him. Look to him to be the one who gives you all the grace that you need. Look to him to be the one who gives you the life and the power that you need in this world. Look to him. That's the good news that we herald. It's the best news in the world. It's the best news anyone will ever know. The good news of a God who lays down his life for broken sinners. People who are, who are more flawed than we could even know, including us, and, and who are more delighted in and loved and pursued than we could ever imagine. The good news of a God who is eager to receive people like us. We honor, we heal, we herald that good news. Fourth, <clears throat> we hurry. We hurry. You know, all of Mark's gospel has a sense of urgency to it, all of it. The, the, the word immediately, okay, is all over the gospel of Mark. In fact, by chapter six, by this passage in chapter six, the word immediately has already occurred 21 times in the gospel of Mark. Immediately the heavens were open. Immediately he called his, his disciples. Immediately he sent them out. Sometimes that word's not even translated into what we read in English. It is all over the Greek. Immediately, 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 because God is on mission. And this is an urgent mission to get to brokenness and to heal it. N.T. Wright says, Mark's breathless gospel focuses here in chapter six on the disciples' breathless mission. This is why one of the reasons Jesus tells them not to worry about what they're taking. Don't take a lot of stuff. Because he's saying this, these are emergency instructions for a swift and even dangerous mission. Jesus says in verse 11, he says, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You say, well, what is that all about? Doesn't sound like kind of the, the heart of Jesus that I know. What is it? Maybe he means something different than what we are immediately thinking. And I think he does because you see in that day culturally for the Israelites, all right, if they were to go in, into a pagan city, then on their way of leaving that pagan city, they had to shake off the dust from their, their shoes because even the dust of this pagan community was viewed as unclean and they couldn't tread that back with them into 
Israel. So they had to shake it off their feet, okay? And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, people are unclean. And here's the thing. I'm creating a whole new world and not even a speck of uncleanliness will have a place in that new perfect world. But I'm the only one who can clean. So the stark high stakes warning here from Jesus is, if they turn down my offer to clean them, there is no other option. I'm the only one who can give this kind of deep soul cleaning. That's what he's saying. So you see how high the stakes are? You see how significant this is? How, you know, urgent things need to be. We live with a sense of urgency all the time. We just live with it for things that are non-urgent. But Jesus is saying, there's something I want you to be urgent about. I want you to be urgent about people knowing that they can have a connection to me, a life-giving, fullness-of-life connection with me, with forgiveness and grace and cleanliness from top to bottom because of me, because of what I'm doing, and I want them to know that, and I want you to tell them that. There's a story um, on December 12th, 1984, okay, it was a busy uh, highway right outside of London, okay? And on this particular morning, this dense fog clouded over a section of this highway. And so like if you were driving, it, it, would, it, it would, would fool you because one moment you had complete visibility and the next moment you couldn't see past your windshield. It's like a cloud sitting right on top of this, this roadway. And they had hazard signs out for people to be careful, but... Within a few minutes of this, uh, a giant um, uh, truck, uh, like 18-wheeler, collided with a car and toppled over, and the truck was laying uh, right in the cloud, in the fog, the full width of the highway. And so within 10 minutes, you had just utter carnage of cars flying into this, this fog space and colliding, 10 people killed. By the time the, the police officers arrived uh, on the scene, they parked their car and two officers were running back up the highway, waving their hands, shouting. Even, one officer even took to, to picking up the parking cones and hurling them at cars to try and get them to stop. One of the officers uh, said, told how tears streamed down his face as he said, car after car went by him. And as he heard just the horrific, nauseating sound of the collision just ahead. Stakes couldn't be higher. This world is hurtling on towards a, a future that is untenable without the Savior. And we are called to bear the news of what the Savior has done. We may be called to invest 
in communities, to plant ourselves into people's lives, but it does not take away from the urgency of the role that we have. There is a time and a place to maybe even throw a parking cone, to wave our hands, to shout, to let people know Christ is the answer and the only answer. You say, this, well, this, this is the part that is so hard. Because right now you're picturing your coworkers, your your families, your friends, your neighbors, and you're thinking, you know, what, what will be their response? You know, what if, what if I, I feel rejected by them? What if it ends up, you know, having an influence on our relationship? What if, I, what if I don't even know the words to say? You know, I try my best, but it's just all muddled or it's confusing or it comes out weird. What, what if? And that leads us to our last word this morning, and it's that we hope. We hope, we have, we have a greater hope, you know, in all of this, we can't forget that our hope lies not in our ability, our hope lies not in our missional strategy, our hope lies not in our evangelistic prowess, our hope lies in Christ and in Christ alone, our hope is Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about the things that they would bring or that they would need as a reminder to them of their utter dependence upon God for all things, including the success of the mission itself. They are dependent upon Him for all things, especially His mission, because it's His. It's His mission. He cares about that new church building much more than you do. He cares about the life change that'll happen there much more than you do. He cares about this community more than you ever will. It's his mission. And we go forward with hope. You know, what this means is that the, when we think that we've totally screwed up something, a, a, our strategy, our plan for the city, our plan for the nations, our plan for our neighborhood, our plan for our friend, we think we've totally messed it up. We can hear Jesus saying to you, your hope is not in you. Your hope is not in your ability. Your hope is in me, and this is my mission, and I've just invited you to tag along and be a part of it. We cling to him. We cling to him. And doesn't he surprise us? He surprised, I mean, I, I don't know if you've experienced this. I hope that you have. If you haven't, I hope you do soon. Experience the sense of, I thought God was doing nothing, and then I saw that he was doing something, and something very big. I read just recently a, a story that illustrated this of a, he was a, a, a Baptist um, medical missionary. Um, his name is Dr. William Leslie. And uh, in 1912, he decided, God's called me to go and love people with the gospel. He has called me to go on mission, tell people about Jesus. 1912, he goes to this remote corner of the Congo, okay? And, and, he, and he, he lives in this small little community city called uh, Vanga, and it was right on the um, uh, Kwailu River, okay? And, and he's there for 17 years in, in Vanga, okay? But once a year, he would cross the Kwailu River and he'd go into the deep jungle with these tribes, okay? Some of them cannibalistic tribes at the time. It's 1912. Once a year for a whole month, he would just traverse the jungle trying to have conversations with people about Jesus and about the Bible. Now, 
he lived there for 17 years in the city, and then he, he ended up having a falling out, falling out with one of the tribal members, something to that effect, and he had to leave. They asked him to leave. And so he, he heads back uh, to the United States, dejected, feeling like a failure. He never saw any fruit of anything that he did out there. It's like, God, why did you even call me to do that? This was totally pointless. What were you even doing, God? And he comes back, and nine years later, he dies. Life is over. Okay? And we hear that and we think, doesn't that kind of sound like a lot of work in the kingdom of God? Like, where we go in with these high hopes and we're like, God, aren't you going to do something big and something miraculous? And then we don't see it. We get dejected. Maybe we blame ourselves. Maybe we blame God. But there's another half to the story. And this other half to the story, remember, he went in 1912. Congo. In 2010, so almost a hundred years later, there's a missionary group that headed back to that same place, okay? And what they discovered was shocking. They're staying in that same city of Vanga, and they asked some locals, they said, hey, take us into the jungle where the, the little tribal communities are. And so some locals, they crossed the river they go into the jungle, and they, based on the, these missionaries' research, they expected that some people there may have heard the name Jesus, but that nobody really would know who he is. And what they discovered was that in every single tribal community in that 36 miles of jungle, uh, there was a gospel choir, <laughs> um, there was a local church in the tribe. Um, one, one tribe had built somewhere along the line a thousand person stone cathedral. These were not only just healthy churches, they were churches that were planting churches. And these missionaries were just like, what in the world? Where did this come from? And so they started asking these people, what's the story here? And all the people kept saying the same tribal name. And I, I don't know what it was, and the missionaries didn't know. But they, they didn't know the name, Dr. William Leslie. They had a tribal name. But they said, you know, he was a Baptist. He was a medical doctor uh, missionary and he was here from, he came in 1912 and left around 1929. You know, so about exactly. This guy who thought, there's no fruit from any of this. And a hundred later, a hundred years later, just unbelievable fruit. And I tell that to you to give you hope. As you, you may look at your community, you may look at, hey, we've been here a while. Hey, we're doing our next thing. What's God doing? Is he, you know, we know he's doing something, but we kind of wish it was more. What's happening? You can't see the whole story. And it is his mission. It's his mission that he cares about more than you do. And he invites you to be a part of it. And he invites you to have hope. So as that structure is about to start coming up, I want to encourage you and encourage myself that we have a mission to go and build bridges of invite to people, to know Jesus. And we're called to do it. Uh, we're called to do it in a way that honors, that heals, that heralds, that hurries, and ultimately that has hope only in Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as 
as 2,000 years ago, you met people where they were at. I pray that you would do the same today. Meet us, each and every one of us, where we're at. In our fear and our shame and our self-righteousness, meet us where we're at. Meet us with your incredible grace and send us out in that grace to meet others where they're at. And with our lives and our words, help us to point to the only life there is, life with you. We pray in your name. Amen.